The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. March 23rd, our 12th day since the suspension of the NBA season. My 10th day since going into voluntary quarantine because we're about to have a kid. And California's, I think, fifth, sixth day since mandatory quarantines. I think it's fifth day. Was that Wednesday last week? I've lost track. Might have been Thursday or Friday. The hell do I know? Things haven't changed a whole lot over the last few days. I hope everybody had a decent weekend in relative lockdown. I'm sure some of you guys are listening to this show and you're in places where you're able to move around somewhat freely. I hope that you guys have also taken the precautions that are being, to a certain extent, forced upon some of us for good reason. Because as as we've mentioned a million times in the news... Both sides of the aisle, so don't you dare say that any of this is partisan. We have to we have to maintain our distance. I actually went to the supermarket this morning, and I have pretty good news to report on that front. It was being extremely well run, which is kind of... It's an interesting little footnote in all of this stuff, is that the initial frenzy, supermarket... Other places of business, wherever you might be discussing. I, I'm, the one place I'm leaving out of this is healthcare. Everything else reacts to this current and for an unknown period of time disaster with sort of an initial panic. And that's just human nature. I think it's silly for people to say, don't panic or don't do this. Don't. That's like, don't touch your face. As soon as someone tells you that, immediately you've got an itch on your nose, right? Like, I I work really hard not to touch my face the very few times I've gone out in public lately, but as soon as I set foot outside of my apartment, immediately my whole face itches. Like, I don't know how it happens. The entire world is very itchy. But I don't touch it. And when I say everybody reacts with this sort of immediate panic, I don't mean that everybody is racing around setting things on fire. I just mean that there's a lot of confusion Right when a certain new large-scale measure is put in place, like this one in California, shelter in place, this is a big deal. So what you saw right out of the chute was this massive rush on supermarkets, grocery stores, pharmacies, all that stuff. You saw all the toilet paper get bought out, all the flour was gone, the meats, the chickens, the everything that people would you'd think that people might grab in a end-of-days type of thing off the shelves. Now, by the way, I don't know why people are going so nuts for toilet paper. I don't fully understand it. Even if you get the disease, you don't need more toilet paper. If you need all that toilet paper, you got some other stuff going on. We'll have a talk. Because I got IBS, so maybe I know your problem. But over time, so right at the beginning, and this is now... That you know that first couple days after the NBA season canceled and then everything else canceled and then the people finally realized, oh man, this is this is a big deal. The supermarkets were overrun. The shelves were picked clean. It was weird. Last week, after a couple of days of the craziness, 
you started to see the stock come back a little bit. The markets had developed a, a, a partial policy, and there was still a pretty good rush on things. People were still loading up. What I saw this morning was pretty refreshing, actually. I got to the market, which, by the way, has extended its hours again. After clamping six hours down, The our local supermarket here is 6 a.m. to midnight when we're not in a pandemic. When the pandemic hit, they went to 8 to 8. So from 18 hours down to 12. It cut off six hours for sanitizing and restocking every night. They've actually added back a couple hours. I think one on the front end and one on the back end. They finally, initially they actually only gave five minutes for senior citizens to go in early. Like what the hell is an 85-year-old going to do in five minutes at a supermarket? They'll just get trapped in the back when all the young people come racing in five minutes later. So now they've changed that. The uh, population over 65, which some of whom are not what you'd call senior citizens, but they are in the more vulnerable part of the population. They get a half an hour at the very beginning, and then there's a line set up outside with little markers on the ground. So everybody knows how to stay five feet away from one another, or six feet. I mean, eventually people sort of float around. And they were only letting about 25 or 30 people in the entire building at any one time. So things were much better organized today. The shelves were far more fully stocked than at any point I'd seen over the previous eight or nine days of this whole adventure that we're on right now. And I didn't feel like I had to push past people. There wasn't a, a like the vultures descending on any one part of the place. So I thought that was a pretty good sign just from a human's perspective. Businesses are starting to figure out how to handle this a little bit better. The place is essential businesses here in California. And I think people are starting to figure out how to handle this a little bit better. You know, you don't need 900 rolls of toilet paper. You don't need 55 packs of ground beef. You can get two, three, whatever. You go back to the market a week later. I think people have now realized that the supply side of this hasn't really been threatened yet. So if you guys are out there listening to the podcast, kind of thinking about what you ought to do, if you're in... If you're in California, at least, I think places are starting to figure this out a little bit better. As far as other states across the nation, you know, everybody's got their different restrictions put in place now. Really, really take this seriously, guys, because the one thing that I think gets lost in the way things are going right now is, and by the way, I get it. I mean, I'm on NBA Twitter, which is politically left of center. So most of what I'm seeing is shaded in one direction. I actually totally understand this one argument from both sides. It's really hard. I get it. It's really hard to shut down an entire nation of 330 million people. I get it. I I think it's the right thing to do, but I get it. And there are cities that are, you know, 80, 90, 100 miles from other cities that no one's going to right now where it's possible they might not have a COVID case. So those little places are going to have an argument. Hey, we don't need to shut down. It's not here, and it might not ever get here. But at the same time, the piecemeal stuff, and this is the other side of the argument, the piecemeal stuff, which is what we're in right now, New York, then it's California, then it's, you know, then it's Washington, New Jersey, Oregon, partial, I think. You're starting to see it happening in more places. Illinois, sorry, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing places. Florida's starting to shut things down. 
every state is getting to this point slowly at their own weird little pace. And the problem here is that people move between states, number one. So a state that shuts it down later is still having people create infections, and they could actually be going back to a state that had shut down earlier, or, you know, why would somebody go to a state that's got everything closed down? But those people are going to other states. I mean, there are parts of this country where you can get from state to state a lot faster than in California. I got to drive five hours to get to another state. That's not the case for a lot of you fine folks out there listening to the podcast. You might be able to go to a restaurant or a bar across a state line. But please don't. Please don't. Let's try, to, let's try to get this thing. Let's try to nip this thing in the bud. Let's try to slow it down fast. And we'll do it together. We're going to get through this thing. As far as NBA news is concerned, there really wasn't any over the weekend, which is pretty remarkable. We had all those positive tests come back late last week, which is, and I feel in this very brief moment, kind of smart, because on Thursday or Friday of last week, when all those tests were coming about, coming out about the Lakers and... Let's see, the Nets, the Nuggets. Who the hell else was in that that second wave of tests? I'm sure I'm forgetting a team or two. And I said, this is expected. Because these people, players, staff, whoever, had been exposed and incubating before the NBA shut down. Before March the 11th. They got their tests on whatever it was, the 13th. They got their results on the 18th. And so we found out positive tests on the 18th of people that had been exposed from the, let's say, 7th or 6th of March through the 11th of March. Of course, now we have the next chunk, which is basically between the 11th when the NBA shut down, and the 16th, 17th, or 18th, when we started to see these first cases, or these first positives from the NBA, we don't know what people were doing for those first three, four, five days after the NBA shut down. Were these players working out with their uh, with other players on their own team? What were they doing in their home cities? You're going to see, I think, a next wave, and I hope it's not double the size, right? Because if it's the same size as the first wave, that actually means that we've done a good thing. That means that the R, the R number, the rate of infection, which presumably, I mean, if you put a person in a room with a bunch of people, the R is going to be very high. If the R is around 1, that's actually considered relatively low. Anything sub 1 and we're actually starting to snuff it out a little bit. Well, now, we're not at that point yet. I think you're going to see a next wave. I don't know. Again, it could be three or four people. It could be much more of NBA-affiliated staff or players that test positive. We might not even hear about it now that these teams aren't really congregated together or all getting their tests at the same time. And the fact that we found out as many as we did was because whole teams got tested even when they some of them were asymptomatic. Most of them, I think it sounded like. Of the eight or so positives we found out about late last week, I think five or six of them didn't show any symptoms at all. Like Rudy Gobert had symptoms. Uh, One of the Nets had symptoms. And I think the Nuggets staffer, right? Like three of the eight? I believe both Lakers were asymptomatic. 
So there will probably be this this next little thing. I'm sure we're going to get a little NBA news early this week, and it's, it's possible some of it is just because no one's covering the NBA on the weekend and teams don't feel like they need to put out any press releases, and maybe they didn't even know. Do they even have to is the next question. You know, does a team, I know they're supposed to be checking in on their guys, but, like, they're all in quarantine. They're all in isolation. If someone's asymptomatic, they're not going to go get tested. Teams are not mandating their entire player and staff get tested. So we're only going to find out about the handful of symptomatic NBA-connected cases here over the next couple of days. Again, if any. I don't want you guys to... The same way I didn't want you guys to think about the news last week as particularly bad news for the NBA, I also don't want you to think about potential lack of news this week as good news for the NBA. Because some people are still getting infected out there that are NBA-connected. It simply hasn't been long enough since the NBA shut down or since teams started to quarantine and isolate for these infections to stop happening and or go away. From a math perspective, you figure incubation period is about a week. Symptoms last for about two weeks. So you're looking at three weeks from when things shut down on the 11th, or really when people started to quarantine themselves, which is more like the 15th or 16th, that you're going to stop, or you hope you stop, you kind of snuff out any new cases in the NBA connected community. And some will still happen because people go to the market, People have to run their errands. People go to the hospital. Someone's going to get exposed in there. And that's why this could end up taking a while. But I would say by April 6th, which is two weeks from today, you should start to, I would hope, see some scale back, not just in the NBA, but actually in the general public, of how this thing is is moving. If things are not improving on the rate of infection by April 6th, in the areas that have taken the strictest measures then we're in real trouble because that means people aren't actually listening. But I've seen the freeways, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't get on one because I haven't needed to go farther than the six blocks to the supermarket. But I have seen them. And they are wide open. And it is frightening. Those of you that are from Los Angeles or even from California and have been to Los Angeles, you know what a freeway and driving culture Los Angeles is. And there is no one on the roads right now. Nobody. It's the creepiest damn thing that I could ever imagine. And I realize that the news that it's connected to is way worse. But this is so creepy. You can't get anywhere. Point of reference, you try to get from, I mean, we're talking like six miles from what's called the valley, the San Fernando Valley, over the hill, we say here in Los Angeles, over the hill, the Sepulveda Pass. If you try to get from the San Fernando Valley over the hill into the city, it could take you anywhere from one to two hours to go about five or six miles in the morning here in in Los Angeles. And right now, you can do it in five or six minutes. So people are definitely listening. Now we wait and see. In the meantime, we occupy ourselves as best we can. Uh, so I mean, hopefully this podcast is generally a little bit of a distraction. I know we talk about the COVID stuff for the first uh, 10 to 15 minutes of most of these shows. I just think it's, you know, it's nice to, to connect 
with all of you guys on what we're all going through together at this point. And if you've got stories, feel free to tweet them at me. Would love to hear them. What you guys are going through, maybe shows you're watching, other things you're doing to while away the time. I see so many people talking on Twitter about how bored they are right now. You want to not be bored? Quarantine yourself for 14 days and come take care of my kid for a whole day. You won't be bored after that. You'll be exhausted, but you won't be bored. We left off last week on Thursday's show. Friday, we talked to uh, the architect over here, the great Aaron Bruski. We left off on the Thursday show, breaking down the results of the Industry 8 Category Mock, organized by our buddy Adam King. And so we'll pick up where we left off on that regard now, and that'll be the second half of today's program. The We had, I believe, and now I, I, I was about to launch into it, and suddenly I realized that I'd forgotten exactly where we left off. I think we got through the top 30. And as I've done each of the last few, and I don't know how many, <laughs> I really don't know how many times I can do this, I'm going to rattle off the first 30 players, just so you know what we've gotten past so far. And I enjoyed doing this with the top 20. I'm going to try to do it Ace Ventura style. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, Trey Young, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Bradley Beal, Nico Vucevic, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Kyrie Irving, John Collins, Andre Drummond, Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, and Brandon Ingram. Oh. And one, what, what's the last, and one hell of a model American. That's when he's doing it, uh, Ray Finkel's house. So that's the top 30 here from this industry mock. And we spent plenty of time on all of them. So if you want to go back to those, they were Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday's episodes from last week. 10, 20, or the uh, top 10, the next 10, and then the uh, 21 through 30. So today we'll pick up on pick number 31, which was, and this is an interesting one. We might end up talking about this for a little bit. That's Zion. Zion went at 31. I don't know that it's fair. So, breaking these things down, and I realized I've, I've towed the line a little bit with my analysis on a lot of these picks, and that's because, to me, you guys know, those of you that have listened to this podcast for a long time, you guys know that most of what I do leading up to fantasy draft season is analyzing ADP. To me, knowing where someone's going to go is your, arguably, your greatest weapon. Because if you, if you feel like they're a value where they're going, they're someone you target. If, you don't, if they're not, you don't. That strategy, in my opinion, is the greatest simplification of fantasy sports you can possibly do. You are going to miss out on some home runs. You are also going to miss out on some massive duds, you're going to end up hitting a lot of small wins along the way. You're going to have small wins in a lot of different rounds. And I'll tell you what, you know, I'm in, I think, pretty damn competitive fantasy leagues now. 
I mean, you've you've heard me talk on this podcast about how which guys are already on teams in my league. Like guys get picked up really fast. These are sharp cats, and they're not. You know, we're not playing for the buy-in. Isn't a thousand dollars? You know, this isn't the the crazy mega money leagues. You know, the buy-ins a hundred, couple hundred, whatever. So there are people that are in more competitive leagues than I'm in, but I think these are pretty damn competitive. And I'm almost always in the top three with my drafting method. If we had played out the rest of this season, and maybe we still will, I don't know, we'll see. I'm in three money, uh, three roto leagues that have money on the line. One of them is a keeper league, so I'm going to throw that one out because my keepers were horrible. I basically mortgaged everything to try to win money the last couple of seasons, and I did. But my team was awful this year, so throw that one aside because I, you know, my, what could my draft strategy be when I have awful keepers and all these guys are off the board already? In the redraft keeper leagues I'm in, if we had played out this season, one of them was a guaranteed first place. There was almost nothing that anyone could have done to stop me from winning that league. The other one would have been, I would think, a pretty easy top two. Chance to be number one, not guaranteed. I was getting LaMarcus Aldridge back right as the league shut down. Brandon Clark hopefully would have been back maybe a week after that. So that was a team that was actually getting stronger coming down the stretch. That team had Christian Wood, so, you know, steamrolling anyway. And the way that this works, and it doesn't always work in head-to-head, by the way. you got to take a few more chances. you got to look into punt strategies a little bit more. That's why we try to talk to some folks on this show that are a little bit more into head-to-head leagues than Roto. If you draft the way I do in Roto Leagues, you're, you almost put yourself in a guaranteed top three, and then what you do during the season dictates where you end up in that mix. Guaranteed top four, let's say. You'll be in the top third of your league, and if you make some good moves during the year, a couple of shrewd pickups, maybe a trade or two, you can win your damn thing. So then when we talk about something like Zion Williamson pivoting back to the results of this mock going at 31, it catches my eye for a couple of reasons. Number one, Zion, who played in 19 games this year before the season was suspended and missed basically the first 40, is scoring 24 points with seven rebounds a game on 59% shooting. So he has two very good categories and one good one. The problem is that At this point, he almost has six bad ones. He's been one of the worst free throw shooters in the NBA. He's turning the ball over three times a game, despite being a starting power forward, right? Yeah, he's a power forward on that team. Seven rebounds is decent, so we'll give him a positive in that one. But the assists are fine, not great. Steals and blocks have been super low. Three-pointers are non-existent. So let's say the free throws have been bad, three-pointers not there, which is fine. That's not what you were drafting him for anyway. But assists, steals, blocks, and turnovers, that's a lot to weather. There is, I think, a fair expectation that some of this stuff is going to get better. Presumably, as he gets into better shape, the steals and the blocks will improve. you got to think they will, right? Because he was able to get that stuff in college, and when you're that much of a freak athlete, that type of stuff, you're just going to get them. I think the rebounding could be better, and probably will be. I don't know about the free throw percentage. I don't know about the turnovers. I don't think the three-pointers are a thing that he fixes or works on that much right out of the shoot here. 
He just has other things in his game that need to come first. So when you draft him, now, this is an eight-cat league, so you can wipe turnovers off the board, but when you draft him as a third-round guy, you need, well, for one, you need the free throws to be better. There's very hard for someone who's that bad at free throw shooting to be inside the top 36. The guys that are are Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Ben Simmons actually hasn't been as bad as Zion at free throw shooting. Drummond, almost as bad. Zion actually has been a, a worse one. And then Giannis, who's been the worst in the league in terms of the impact he's had on your free throw number. Not the actual percentage, but the impact. The weight, the power of it. How do those guys get to that point? Well, Drummond does it by being way beyond good, fantastic, elite league best rebounding, 3.5 combined defensive stats. Actually getting close to three assists a game, which I think Zion could get to. So he's been spectacular in three categories. That's how you get there. How's Giannis gotten there? He's been spectacular in scoring, rebounding, very good in assists. Steals and blocks have been solid, and then field goal percent has been really, really good. So there's a path there for Zion. There's a path to get into that top 30 with the bad free throw shooting. But it's going to take a pretty big jump in two statistical categories. Because field goal percent is there. He's already very good in that one. Can he get the scoring from 23 up to like 28? That's asking a lot of scoring on a team that has a lot of options. So I'm going to say that one's not supremely likely, but possible. Can the rebounding come up from 7 to maybe 11? That's a big jump, so probably not. So when you look at the breakdown, the hope, I think, for Zion is either A, his free throw percentage goes from 64 up to 70, which seems unlikely but not impossible, or the steals and blocks go from 1.3 combined somewhere up around 2. That's how he gets into that mix. And even then, it's a tough sell. If the turnovers are up around three, it's almost impossible in nine cat. In eight category, there's a chance. But for me, my big question, I asked Brew this on Friday's show, is where do we think he's going to go? This is one example. This is one story of him going at 31. I don't know what this means for where he's actually going to go next season. I don't know. And that's going to make a big deal. It's going to make a big difference in, in whether or not we even consider him. If this is where he ends up going, if he's going at 31, I don't think I'm touching him. Now that we know some of the shortcomings in real life, he's got a lot of things he needs to fix to get anywhere near 31. Doable? Yes. Probable? Hmm. Jaron Jackson went at 32. Now we have to put the caveat on this that it was our buddy Jonas Nader taking him there. So there there was a pretty distinct targeting situation happening. Uh, for, and, and I know the injury this year was a little bit of a freak thing. He hurt his knee. He'd been pretty healthy to that point. So can we call him injury prone? No, I don't think so. Do we call him a top 40 guy for a full season yet? Some of that's going to depend on what Memphis does with the rest of their offseason. 
or when we actually get to the offseason. Because right now, I would call him a guy that they're building around, and he was still set on only 13 shots a game. His his three-pointers and his blocks have basically floated his value. Do the blocks go up from 1.6? I think you hope that they do, but it's it's tough to know for sure. Does the scoring come up? That's another spot where you hope that there's improvement. Does he get more time at center maybe going forward? Does that help his rebounding and shot blocking? It's a possibility. He's probably going to be a better 9-category guy than 8-cat because he's not a big-time turnover dude. I, I still don't know that I'm taking him this early. He certainly has the stat set to get there, right? Like, if the three-pointers and the blocks are both crazy high, you almost don't need much else to get to that point. It's the it, it's the Miles Turner phenomenon from last year, where the, th- the blocks were so high, and he hit some threes, and he did a couple other things, and the percentages weren't terrible, and it, it's just easy to leap up the charts when you're that good in one or two categories. Right? Like Hassan Whiteside, 3.1 blocks... He almost doesn't need to do anything else, and he's a top 40 guy. Well, he was very good in rebounding, too, this year, and field goal percent, so that put him inside the top 10. In 9-cat. 8-cat, I think, was just outside of it because he doesn't turn the ball over. Feels weird to demote a guy for not turning the basketball over. So anyway, that's where I sit on the Zion front. And then Jaron Jackson is kind of in that same mix. Rudy Gobert went at number 33. He may have gotten a little bit of a uh, a COVID bounce here. He ended up right around that mark in 8-cat this season after a slow start. He played much better the second half of the year. I'm, I'm totally fine with his pick. This is a, hey, if this guy falls to me at 33, 8-cat or 9-cat, I'll take him there. You're just getting a solid center that is going to be able to carry your team in a couple categories. No reason not to. Jonathan Isaac went at 34, which is exactly his rank in 8-cat this year. Can't believe he only played 32 games. That sucks. This guy was averaging four combined defensive stats a ball game. If he gets better even a little bit, he's just... Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that I would take a chance on as a little bit of a flyer type because we know he's going to be really good, and maybe there's even room for improvement. Lonzo Ball went at pick number 35. This is this is an interesting one because people are clobbering him for this. Lonzo's number 49 in 8-cat for the year, and he's actually been better than that after about a month and a half, two months of bad basketball to start the season. He wasn't even inside the top 100 after the first month. He's been terrific the last couple of months. I don't think he goes this early in most 8-cat drafts. I think people have this weird, sour flavor with him, even though he's been very good for the last two months leading up to the suspension of the season. So is it too early to take him from a could you have gotten him a little bit later? Yeah, probably. And this is a team that had pick 35 and then is also going to have pick 38. So you probably could have gotten him on the other side of this semi-turn situation. But he certainly wasn't going to be around when it got back to this guy at pick 59. I think there's a chance that he could actually be better than that at the end of the year. He still can't shoot a free throw. Field goal percent is still terrible. But he's been very good in 
Rebounding from point guard spot. Assists, steals, three-pointers have been a lot better. Honest to goodness, you know, if his scoring gets even a tiny bit better or the, the field goal or free throw percent gets a tiny bit better, there's, there's room for him to actually be better than this, to continue to climb. So I don't hate this pick as much as people might think I would. I think it's a little bit too early for him, but, I mean, you're getting a guy that is actually relatively safe. Craziness, I know. Clay Thompson went at 36. This is a guy that uh, we talked about with Brew on Friday's show. He's just going to be treated like he didn't miss an entire season. Sometimes guys miss time with injury, and they get a they get knocked. Clay's just not that guy. He's going to get drafted at 36, whether he was completely healthy or not. It's an easy one. You know what he's going to do. Better in nine cat too. Pick 37 was Kyle Lowry, who people still don't trust. He's number 19 in eight cat. He's number 19. He's been really good this year. 20 points, eight assists, one and a half steals, three threes. Field goal percent's always going to be a big negative. He's going to be a good free throw shooter. Turnovers were a bit high for nine cat, but still going to be good. The only question mark with him is health. I mean, he's playing almost 37 minutes a game, so you can't expect him to play in all 82. I think if you're targeting about 68 games in a full season, that would have been a good number. We're probably not going to have a full season next year anyway. Maybe that helps him. I don't know. Maybe it hurts. Depends on how they jam the games together. Do they try to pack them more in in a shorter time frame, or do they just say, you know what, we'll go the normal pace of games, and we're just going to play 65 next year. We'll see. That's, you know, that's a TBD. But Kyle Lowry, still let me trust him. He could end up getting traded next year, but nobody's trading for him unless they want to use him. So maybe he takes a hit near the All-Star break, but it's going to be fine. Chris Paul went at 38. You guys all know I love Chris Paul. Better in 9-cat than 8-cat because he is a big-time efficiency guy. But, I mean, come on. Look at what this guy's done. I'm sure OKC is going to try to move him now that he's proven he still has plenty left in the tank. He's been durable this year. 49% from the field, 90 at the free throw line, 1.6 steals, 7 assists. I mean, he could even have more assists if they put him on a team that didn't have two other star guards on it. right? Like if he ends up on a team that doesn't have Schroeder and Shea also handling the ball in the backcourt, those assists could even be higher than 6.8. I got no problem with Chris Paul, even with another year under his belt. He's given us no reason to think that he can't keep doing it now. Zach Levine at 39. This feels like a pretty good pick in 8-cat. One of these years, he'll stay healthy down the stretch, but he had played 60 games to this point, so it's not like you can complain about the workload prior to his recent injury. Better in 8-cat than 9-cat because of the 3.4 turnovers. And I don't know that anything Chicago does is really going to take the ball out of his hands that much. So, yeah, this one's fine. And then De'Aaron Fox at 40. The hope, obviously, is that he's healthy next year. He's number 59 in 8-cat after a better run here lately. I don't think... I don't... uh, Well, this is another one where I'm a little surprised he still went at 40. He feels like a guy that was... is... When you get into non-industry leagues, destined to drop a little bit, especially if we don't get any more games down the stretch or you know just a handful where guys are kind of warming up a little bit. I think people are going to remember the fact that he got off to a terrible start, got injured, came back slowly, 
and then only lately has started to play better. But I don't I mean, anybody that doesn't have De'Aaron Fox on their fantasy team right now has probably written off his season already. So you're going to see people that had him maybe go back to him saying, oh, now, like we've, now we've seen the improvements late in the year. And everybody else that was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't draft him last year. Yeah, I mean, at the, ultimately, he's, he's going to have been a bad pick this season because he missed a bunch of time and he's underperformed his ADP even despite that on a per-game basis. But he's a guy that, to me, feels like a potential post-hype guy this coming season. I think he might end up getting drafted closer to 50 than 40. And in 8-cat, I'd jump all over that. In 9-cat, it's a little bit more iffy because of those high, the the 3-plus turnovers a game, and the low free-throw percent, which doesn't look like that's improving anytime soon, and not a big 3-point shooter. So you have to kind of know what you're getting into There's a little bit of a D'Angelo Russell vibe to his fantasy game with fewer threes and a better field goal percent. So you have to to build your team accordingly, but especially in 8-cat, he feels like an interesting post-type kind of guy. And that's pick number 40. That gets us uh, up to date for this Monday show. We'll keep our eye to the news, see if anything's coming out. As of now, nothing, nothing really to report. We'll be back with you Tuesday morning for another look at what's going on around the NBA, what's going on in our personal lives. And as I've said every day since this thing started, folks, please do stay safe. Stay home if you can. I am Dan Baspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I don't think I even introduced the show at the beginning. That's how out of whack we are over here. At Dan Baspers, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, let's talk about whatever, life, games, fun, anything. Hit me up. We're all looking for things to talk about. We're looking for... I'm not bored. I got plenty going on over here, family-wise. But, you know, we're all just looking for a certain measure of of human contact, humanity in all of this. Have a great Monday if you can, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.